0: how long Mimi's mom had to wait for her to have kids? 22 years. That's nothing. You blink and your baby's walking. Then you sneeze and she's graduating high school. Before you know it, she's married, and boom! You got a grandkid. Know how old Mimi's very single and very independent daughter is right now? 29. Yep. It's been a damn eternity. To the extended grief of her mother, Precious Tiana had somehow made it through nearly a full saturnal orbit without as much as one pregnancy scare. Not even her longest tenured boyfriend could get the job done, and Mimi knew for a fact he was loving up on her daughter all the time. She had stumbled upon the mid-act more than once, and there wasn't always a trash prophylactic wrapper as proof of the deed. And yes, she checked every trash can in the house. The only thing Mimi ever dreamed of once her little Tiana matured was the chance to go through that process all over again, albeit with a lot less responsibility this time around. Imagine the joy she had felt when she realized all the unprotected sex that her daughter was having with her committed partner. Then the agony when they broke up with absolutely nothing to show for the efforts. Meanwhile, Mimi's little sister Claire hit the jackpot with her kid. Lilybeth got knocked up at 19, And even though the baby daddy was a freelance DJ, he had enough ambition and focus to fulfill his biological duty not even six months after their first date. Talk about a happy accident. Even though Claire had the audacity to speak of the miracle with that all-important adjective omitted. The way Mimi saw it, anytime the good Lord put a baby in your baby, it was an occasion worth celebrating. And best believe Mimi was going to celebrate this pregnancy as much as etiquette would allow. And then go so far beyond that point, it would make everyone involved uncomfortable. Mimi planned all kinds of shopping trips for clothes, cribs, nursery decor, and of course, swanky lunches and spa sessions to wrap it all up. She set up a mommy blog, updated it personally, and more regularly than necessary, and she was always sure to end posts with links to the registry, of which Mimi also made her own additions. Her actual daughter didn't mind the attention her mother paid to her cousin. In fact, she relished it because it took the greater part of that immense pressure off her. It may have hurt a little when her mother had forgotten to invite her on some of these mommy days, then when she made a 2,000 word post on the mommy blog the same day she eschewed even a birthday text to her daughter, but Tiana had grown up with 30 years of this intensive mothering, and she figured that it was high time Lilybeth got a taste. Who knows? Maybe she was even enjoying it. As Lilybeth entered her eighth month, everything was peachy. The pregnancy was healthy. Mimi had made it so that she need not lift a finger until she needed to lift up her ankles and push, and her boyfriend had even proposed at this point. The auntie relished every night when she could draw a dark red X through the date, signifying that the baby was that much closer to being in her arms. This was always followed by hours of just staring up at her ceiling fan, oftentimes getting no sleep at all due to the overwhelming level of excitement. It seemed as if every single moment sludged by and that it would be a world away before she could hold the child that she really, really hoped Lilybeth would name Mathilde. Mimi's greatest comfort during these sleepless nights was the thought that biology was absolute, and as far off as it may seem, there would be, without any doubt whatsoever, no more than six weeks until she could experience the ecstasy of holding a newborn member of her sweet little family. Then COVID happened. Sports leagues shut down, offices set up remote workers, And it wasn't too much of a stretch to say that the world itself stopped. As for Mimi's world, it was faring no better. Lilybeth's doctor instructed her to quarantine her mom, her dad, and the soon-to-be father safely in her home. No one was to go out or come in under any circumstance. If the doctor was privy to who Lilybeth's auntie was, he would have emphasized that yes, that even meant Mimi. Naturally, Mimi did not take the news well. And after begging to be included in the quarantine, she spent the better part of the next three days researching just what exactly this superflu was, and if the exceedingly extreme precautions were all that justified. She continued her research into the severity of the coronavirus, even as news channels displayed the recurring footage of bodies being loaded out of Chinese wards, photographs of overloaded Italian hospitals circulated, and, even when the first Californians had succumbed, Mimi was unconvinced and believed that there could still be some sort of explanation for the carnage that perchance had nothing to do with the allegedly super contagious and super deadly virus. Unfortunately, the novel coronavirus was as real as this stuff gets, and thus she would have to remain apart from the object of her obsessions for a time period described as harshly and unforgivingly as indefinitely. When the text message confirming the successful birth came through, poor Mimi could not hold back the tears. Not because Lilybeth had created a healthy and beautiful baby girl, not because she went ahead and ignored Mimi's choice for a name and bestowed upon her the lower-tier Italian moniker, Bianca. No, Mimi broke down because she knew that there would be days, months, perhaps even years before she could hold the tiny bundle of life in her arms. With so much unknown at the time, she couldn't even experience the small joy of setting up a countdown on her calendar. Weeks later, the tortured soul sat at her kitchen table in a haze of chronic FOMO. She mindlessly scrolled up and down the data program on her laptop, not entering even one figure in the process. When she wasn't killing time by pretending to work, she was buried in her phone, perpetually refreshing Claire's and Lily Best social media feeds. These were a pretty reliable source of precious Bianca-saturated dopamine, but those microdoses could only do so much for Mimi's desperate thirst for infant contact. She had tried to work out a compromise with the mother, but Lilybeth was having none of it. Mimi had first suggested just a quick half-minute hold, surely that wouldn't be long enough to infect, and she had even heard that COVID couldn't spread outdoors. But the idea was shot down immediately. Then she offered to wear a mask, face shield, gloves, and anything else required, all the way up to a full hazmat suit, but that too was denied. Finally... Mimi promised that she would isolate for the suggested 14 days in a motel if necessary. They could even padlock the outside. But Bianca's ancestors would not budge. It had seemed that Auntie Mimi would have to settle for a pathetic little way from the curb while she painfully watched that little born-under-a-lucky-star Claire hold that precious grand gift from God. Mimi continued to sulk through the next few days as she tortured herself with thoughts of a future wherein baby Bianca would grow up to become a full adult before Governor Gavin Newsom and his goons finally ended these spacing mandates. Thankfully, she had a respite from her own mind due to a virtual happy hour with her work pals. She welcomed the meaningless yet colorful office gossip, if for nothing else the opportunity to divert her ravaged mental state onto something, anything else. Noticing that the normally exceedingly boisterous Mimi was particularly Zoom silent, her co-workers engaged her as much as they could, but only received court answers in response. They tried to console her by telling her the news about vaccine development and how it would be available to the public before she knew it, but Mimi remained unconsoled. Then one woman said something that would put into motion a chain of events so crazy, even those who knew Mimi very well would introduce the tale with the preface, you're not going to believe this. Her co-worker casually joked that if she really wanted to see the baby so badly, she should just try to contract COVID. Then if she survived, she'd have the antibodies, which should be equivalent to being vaccinated. Obviously, the suggestion was not that of an epidemiologist. As everyone in the chat room laughed at the joke, Mimi broke into her first smile in months. One that grew larger and larger, as if she had just decided she was going to steal Whoville's Christmas gifts. The wild blizzard of her mind's chaos had thus been ordered, and only one hyper-focused thought remained. Challenge accepted. (music) Mimi spent the better part of the next few days doing everything she could to contract the novel and, by all means, deadly coronavirus. She eschewed masks, showers, and even twice-daily teeth brushing, just to be, well, the opposite of safe. The determined middle-aged woman figured that the grocery stores were the best place to be when it came to contracting diseases. So she would head over every afternoon, then once more in the evening, all via public transportation, of course. She went from store to store, running her hands along all the shelves and touching every shopping cart she could get her hands on. Then she would lick the hot Cheeto dust directly off her fingertips on the ride home. All of a sudden, Mimi became a friend to the homeless and began packing lunches and distributing them all by herself. Naturally, along with a nutritious and well-balanced meal, Mimi was happy to also provide each patron with a long, long hug. Although Mimi did contract a few sniffles, lice, and even a mild case of mono, each one of her COVID tests for the next few weeks came back negative. Seeing the cases rise and the shutdowns tighten, she became increasingly discouraged. Maybe her immune system was just too damn strong. She had even seen some of her neighbors contract the disease, and they didn't even leave the house. Those lucky bastards must have had it transmitted by an Instacart driver, some random stroke of fortune along those lines. Then she thought about how a few of them weren't so lucky in that they had been moved to the ICU and were by all means hanging on by a thread. If she were to contract the virus only to spend months in a hospital fighting it off, or even worse dying from it, well... Perhaps it was time for a reshuffling of strategies. Mimi FaceTimed the household that night and, as usual, requested that they keep the camera on baby Bianca the entire time. She spent the next two hours making faces and speaking gibberish to the infant who more than likely had no idea who she was or even what was going on. Finally, when Claire claimed that the baby needed to sleep, she commandeered the feed and spoke a moment with her sister. Claire started by once more thanking her for respecting their wishes. Mimi went through the motions of pretending like it didn't feel like a hot iron being shoved underneath her fingernails every time she saw that baby's big brown eyes look right up at her, knowing full well she couldn't reach a hand out and cup that teeny tiny face. Yet, at least a hot iron meant she was feeling something. Somehow not seeing her at all would have been even worse. Claire reaffirmed that the vaccine development was going so very well, and the time where everyone in the public could have access and thus herd immunity would be achieved, and all would go back to normal, was coming up very quickly. Mimi muttered that she was just about ready to grab some beakers and start working it herself, to which Claire jokingly replied that maybe she should. The researchers down at UC Irvine were rumored to be starting trials soon, and that may very well be the place where the winning formula debuts. Why not head down and lend a pair of hands to the task? Claire laughed it off, then bid adieu to her sister, so ending the transmission. However, and most certainly unintentionally on the younger sister's part, she had just begun Mimi's night. The University of California at Irvine was no more than 30 miles south of Mimi's house. If there was any chance whatsoever of that being the origin of a true vaccine for the coronavirus, it had almost literally fallen right into her lap. In fact, Mimi had remembered hearing somewhere that when God gives you something, he purposely doesn't drop it directly into your lap because of uh, something about how you wouldn't appreciate it. God? Is that you? Mimi thought about it, and she thought hard, how heavily guarded could a facility like that be? Who was in there? A couple dopey security guards, nerdy interns, and a few scrawny doctors? It shouldn't be all that difficult to breach that den of dweebs, snag a few vials, and see what's stuck, right? Even if it wasn't that simple, at this point it was the only option she had. So with that, the matter was settled. All she needed was a little help. Tiana was very much used to waiting on her mother. She walked toward the entrance of their regular Panera Bread for their scheduled lunch, fully prepared to hang out in the seating-prohibited restaurant for up to 15 minutes by herself when she saw Mimi's car. She made herself known, and after entering the passenger side and being sure to left-handedly mention how surprised she was that her mother was on time, they ordered their high-carb lunches through the app, fetched them from inside, and began their date. The 29-year-old was completely oblivious as to why her mother wanted to see her so urgently, and they lunched often enough that nothing seemed out of place, other than her newfound respect for Tiana's time. This was very intentional on her mother's part, since a lowered guard was naturally much easier to pierce than a raised one. To be fair, Tiana could almost never predict what her eccentric mother would do next, so by default she entered every meeting with her with a vitiated front, and by virtue, very low expectations. Mimi initially kept the convo loose by gossiping about work and asking Tiana incredibly invasive questions about her sex life, the usual. In hindsight, the daughter should have known the talk was about to go very much sideways simply by the fact that they were nearly a full half hour in without even one mention of baby Bianca. Then, right as she was about to pass the halfway point of her passion fruit iced tea, Mimi hit the point. She told her daughter about what she'd heard about the UCI School of Medicine being one of the most accomplished research facilities in the country and how they were rumored to have begun later stage testing of the COVID-19 vaccines. At this point, Tiana butt in and advised that her mother not jump into clinical trials just to see a baby for what might be a few months before an approved vaccine made the rounds. She tried her best to explain to the difficult matriarch that clinical trials are very risky, especially for a woman her age, and when it came to something as time sensitive and dangerous as the COVID 19 pandemic, she would be literally risking her life for the opportunity. True, this could be considered honorable, but did she really want to die in the process? Dead women don't hold no babies, after all. Mimi let Tiana have her say, then had a good chuckle at the thoughts. She agreed on nearly every point. True, her life would be on the line. True, a real vaccine may be announced any moment now. True, Death would be a sour result in her quest to hold baby Bianca. However, when Mimi thought long and hard about it, really, really reflected, there was no life without babies. She'd rather be dead, in all honesty. Maybe that was a part of why she thought first to try to contract COVID. It could have been that she either wanted to develop antibodies or die trying. The stone cold truth was that Mimi needed to hold this baby. As sad as it might sound, She needed something to live for. If she couldn't have it, then there was no point in going on. Thus, Mimi had decided that she would break into the UCI School of Medicine Research Facilities and steal the vaccines, and she'd very much appreciate Tiana's help in doing so. Tiana followed this last bit with a few chuckles of her own, but she entertained her mother and asked what on earth she could possibly bring to such an ambitious undertaking. Without missing a beat, Mimi explained it all. Tiana though nowhere near too young to have a child of her own, was still a young woman. And it would be much easier for her to get past the front lines of college-aged interns. This was all important when it came to scanning the interior and gathering intelligence as to where the vaccines are located and which ones may be the best bets. Plus, she could trust her, which itself was nothing to be sneezed at. Tiana stopped the spiel right there and made it very clear that there was no scenario where she was going to, first of all, go into any public arena at the height of a global pandemic and second, play any role in a plot to impede, in any way, the progress of ending said pandemic. She affirmed that she was in no place to stop the tactic, although she wanted to be on record as strongly discouraging it for a multitude of reasons, including, but not limited to, the risk of infection, criminal implications, and possibly even death, be it immediate or otherwise. Mimi said nothing in response, at first. She merely stared down at the remnants of her sourdough, took a breath, And went into the part of her rehearsed plea that she truly hoped she would not have to employ. Mimi simply stated that which had been running in her mind on a loop from the moment Lilybeth announced her pregnancy. Not that this fact absolved her of the sharp effects that she knew would scar her only daughter. Mimi explained how her life has not been very happy for quite a while now. In fact, she was not sure if she had ever been happy. She need not remind Tiana that once her husband left the two of them to fend for themselves without any warning, She had to double down her efforts as both mother and breadwinner. Once more, she need not elaborate on how she had to take on multiple jobs and side hustles, while also negotiating babysitters, rides, and of course, fun activities that would enrich little Tiana's childhood. Nearly every single day was a struggle, one that Mimi gladly undertook, but a battle nonetheless. All Mimi wanted was for Tiana to have as close to a normal childhood as possible under the circumstances. Oddly enough, even back then, she used Lilybeth as a comparison, as Claire and her husband always seemed to have had the means to give her everything for which she wished. Anyhow, times most certainly got tough for Mimi more often than not, and when they did, she kept her sanity by remembering that this was all for her one true love. Even amidst the stress and day-to-day chaos, the gift of being her mother and having the opportunity to work for and suffer for the honor was her life's greatest blessing. When the night seemed long, And her wits were all but at their end, Mimi would close her eyes and imagine Tiana all grown up. She would be happy and fulfilled, wanting for naught, and having earned it all herself. She then manufactured her would-be grandchild. Her fantasies took a life of their own, and she imagined the joys of taking her to the park, to get ice cream, to carnivals, and all the other fun parts of spoiling her own blood. Yet, the biggest joy would not come necessarily from the opportunity to nurture and bring joy to a babe, but in knowing that she could do it all virtually stress-free. Imagine taking care of a child, the greatest honor and joy a human can embark upon, and all of it without having to worry if a roof will remain over her head, food in her stomach, or clothes on her back. That simple thought was what kept Mimi going, and it was by all means the reason as to why Tiana was even sitting here now with the means to criticize her mother's goals, and even verbally attest her disapproval of them. Now, Mimi understood that Tiana was simply not in a position to have a child. She really did. Though it upset her, and to be as honest as she had been this entire lunch, crushed every being of her insides, she knew Tiana was her own woman, and her life and its decisions were her call. Those were, after all, exactly the freedoms for which Mimi had sacrificed. However, when reflecting deeply enough and considering the years of sacrifice, didn't Tiana owe her this? At the very, very least, didn't her daughter owe her a hand in allowing her the chance to hold a baby and fulfill just a taste of that long-held fantasy, even if all this work meant she had to wait even one less day to do so? Tiana could scarcely believe her ears. Her mother was really going to stoop this slow to get her to attempt to rob a medical facility in hopes of the fraction of a chance that she might find a viable vaccine. All this to hold a baby that wasn't even her own grandchild. The worst part was, there was nothing she could do. As many know when it comes to mother-born guilt trips, there is no defense known to man. How can anyone say no to the person who literally took upon themselves the sufferings and torments of birthing them into this wild, wild world? Then add in the fact that they continued to mother them through the aches and pains of childhood, adolescence, and then early adulthood. In Tiana's case, Mimi had done all of this solo. So, Tiana asked her mother to just go ahead and tell her how exactly she was thinking of doing it. Since time was of the utmost essence, this would all need to begin Monday morning. Mimi had actually been running recon for the initiative over the past week and the information that she had gathered was more than enough to start the first offense. Mother and daughter would arrive at the campus at 745 sharp. With the researchers beginning their workday at 8, this would give them a time window to see the various professionals and interns arrive and enter the facility. From what Mimi could tell, the research doctors each had a photo ID attached to a lanyard that they wore around their necks at all times. These cards could also be assumed to have electromagnetic strips on the back, which would grant them access to the more sensitive areas of the lab, more than likely where the vaccines were held. There would come a time where a team would need to secure one of these cards, but that would come later. For now, all they would need for Tiana to gain access was a plastic wristband. When an intern entered the facility's second floor, he or she checked in with the front attendant and received a color-coded wristband that was fastened to the person an indication of their permission to enter the facility. To strengthen security, the colors changed every day. But that would be no problem because after digging through a trash receptacle outside of the facility, Mimi was able to study the item and then track down the supplier. She had since ordered a box of each color. Thus, they only needed to see what that Monday's color was and Mimi would produce the counterfeit. Naturally, Tiana would raise suspicion if she simply walked into the facility without checking in, even if she had the proper appendage identification. Her invasion would thus need a slight delay and that she would need to see when the interns began their breaks, usually around 11. No one checked in this late in the day, so she could blend in with a group, flash her wristband, and since one could assume security was not memorizing faces, especially with the masks and face shields, be granted entry. Once inside, Tiana would have to do her best to do a full scan of the lab. She must blend in with the dweebs as she takes mental notes of the important areas, including camera locations, blind spots, windows, rooms that incur heavy and then light traffic, any rooms suspected of harboring vaccines, and of course, all exits. Once this information was screened, she would immediately report back to Mimi. Mimi will then take her information and sketch a plan of the inside as well as a route to the vaccine room and from there out of the facility entirely. The invasion would then enter its second phase, after lunch. Mimi would remain outside until she saw employees begin to return from their lunch hour, which would signal her to make her entrance amidst the expected traffic. Mimi had already purchased her outfit, that of a custodian. Knowing that the lab has hired temporary workers to make sure the areas would remain extra clean and void of any infectious properties. Once Mimi broke through the barrier, she would meet up with Tiana in one of the previously scanned empty rooms where they would touch base and enter the next phase. The goal would now shift to securing an ID badge from someone with access to the vaccine vault. Mimi had a few techniques in which she felt she could comfortably secure one, including simply looking out for an unintended lanyard that a researcher might have left lying around. If the task made itself more difficult, She could also try simply lying to a person entering the vault and saying that she was being asked to disinfect the doorknobs then when the coast was clear she would make her way inside if all this failed she could always execute a standard pickpocket bump and cut or she'd pretend to run into a card carrier and in an instant cut the lanyard and pocket the id following this she would enter the vault grab the vaccines tuck them into her vest then make her way out via one of the least trafficked exits Then she would call for Tiana, who would be playing Lookout during this time, and they'd ride off into the sunset, knowing they were mere weeks away from holding the golden baby. And the funny thing is, the whole operation pretty much went just as planned. That is, except for the end. The Monday morning arrived and the mother-daughter team had landed on campus just as planned, They scanned the outside of the facility and noted the bright orange wristband of the day, then promptly attached the proper color to each wrist. Mimi refreshed the main strategic points, then released Tiana into the first phase. She had gained entry rather easily, and after about 30 minutes time, Mimi figured she was safely inside and in the midst of a recon assignment. As she awaited the details of the layout, Mimi thought about all the things sensory with regards to baby Bianca. She thought of the soft, chubby skin of the child, the smell of her freshly washed, wispy hair, the little baby noises she would whimper while Mimi raised her high in her arms, and of course, the sight of the smile she was sure to give her auntie upon contact. The text finally came in and Mimi put the information into a visual map. She could confirm that the vaccine room was in the northwest corner of the lab's second floor and it was indeed guarded by a lock that required a key card. However, it was an RFID card meaning there was a chance that Mimi could simply bump a researcher into the wall in some innocent way and thus gain access, instead of having to resort to the bumping cut. The time then came for Mimi to breach. She exited her vehicle, already dressed in her janitorial uniform, and took the first steps toward the target. The woman bullied her anxieties and embraced a calm and collected mindset. She had been eagerly awaiting an opportunity to take action in pursuit of her desires, and here it was. Nothing to do but execute. She walked into the entryway, headed to the elevator, and struck the two button. Upon arrival, she went straight to the front desk, made cold eye contact with the gatekeeper, and raised her orange banded wrist in pride. The guard barely took notice as she shuffled right past the border. It really was that easy. From there, Mimi walked down the corridors and entered the janitor closet that had been scouted by Tiana, She grabbed a mop and bucket and proceeded to fill it so as to give the appearance of always being on the way to clean up a mess of the highest priority. Then she took the entire apparatus into an old supply closet and waited for her daughter to make contact and enter the next phase. Imagine her surprise when Tiana came in all smiles. She played with her mother a bit and made her guess as to why she was in such a joyous mood, but finally relented and produced the pilfered RFID card. Tiana had seen one of the lead doctors place it down on a desk in one of the offices, and since she had time to kill anyway, she simply waited for the doctor to leave for the restroom, of course she left the keycard, and Tiana walked in and picked it up. Easy as that. There it was. The biggest obstacle of the day was no longer an issue. From this point forward, all Mimi needed to do was be sure the vaccine room was empty, then walk right in and take what she needed. A quick exit, likely right through the front door, and she was home free. Realizing that she had all but done it, she reached across and embraced her co-conspirator. Tiana had almost jumped back in instinct. She had not remembered the last time her mother had hugged her of her own volition. As odd as it might sound, considering that she was risking her life to hold a baby, Mimi was not a touchy-feely person, even with her own spawn. It took a moment, but once she realized what was happening, her daughter hugged her back warmly, And though the moment only lasted about eight seconds it was one that the young childless tiana would remember forever upon release the pair made their timed exits and began to walk shifts back and forth down the perpendicular hallways to covertly observe the vaccine room for movement this proved a bigger challenge than anticipated although in hindsight it really shouldn't have it was the room with the most traffic after all mimi had to wait nearly two more hours for the room to clear The exact moment at which she sprinted her bucket over to the door and hurriedly tapped the RFID card to gain entrance. The light came up green and she pulled on the handle, eliciting the glorious sound of a door latch opening. However, that wasn't all she heard. From behind her, a deep voice asked what she was doing. Turning around, she saw a tall man with thick black glasses. Gazing down to his ID, she found that this was Dr. Raymond Haxley. Mimi stood frozen keeping the door open as she employed her prepared excuse that she was cleaning the door handles. The doctor was not fooled as he reminded her that the vaccine room was strictly off limits to anyone without pre-approved access and there was no honest reason she should be in possession of that RFID card. After all this work and everything that had gone right, the entire operation was about to go up in flames right here and now. Mimi knew there was nothing she could say to clear her and there was no chance the doctor would just leave her be. The fact that he had an already alerted security was a miracle. With her back now firmly against the wall, she found comfort in thoughts of baby Bianca. Her raison d'etre, the mass of sensory memories that she sought to make with the child flooded her mental in those brief seconds. And she realized she had come too far to lose it all. If this day ended with her heart still beating, it would most definitely be pumping a working vaccine through her bloodstream. Mimi pulled the emergency thirty-eight from her pocket, and aimed it right at the doctor's heart. She warned him to keep quiet and go back into his office. With arms raised, he agreed, and Mimi darted into the vaccine room. She immediately barricaded the door and made her way to the holding. Much to her horror, there were hundreds of vials in this vault. Everything from blood samples to who knows what kinds of contained diseases. Not only that, but there were keypad locks on nearly every cabinet. She scanned the various collections and realized quite quickly that she was in so far over her head. It was ridiculous to think she ever truly thought she had a chance of making this work. How stupid of her to assume that she could just waltz in, grab the one true antidote, and waltz right out. As she began perspiring profusely under her own pressure, assured that by now security, UCI police, and more than likely a few real cops would be fast on their way to come take her in for what was now armed robbery, she heard a noise from the back of the room. Mimi called for the origin to identify itself, or she'd sure as help shoot, and a young Korean woman who appeared to be no more than fifteen emerged from the back, arms raised. Mimi had miscalculated, and one intern remained inside. Why not add false imprisonment to the rap sheet? Mimi called the shy intern over, and had a moment of pondering as she decided whether to inhabit the role of nothing to lose gunwoman or express some comfort to the hostage instead. She began with the former demanding that the young woman tell her which vials held the true vaccine. The petite would-be researcher explained that she didn't know which one was the vaccine, and she wasn't even sure there was a valid vaccine at that lab. She said that the team has been making some truly astounding progress, but this room was holding various drafts of the formula, and each had its own issues. She knew some that were expected to be further down the road than others, but since she was just an intern, it was not like she could in good conscience recommend one. They didn't even trust her with the codes for the cabinets. Mimi wiped the sweat from her eyes and told the intern to write down whichever vials she did know and start seeing if there was anything she could find to bust these cabinet locks. As the woman did as instructed, Mimi's phone rang. The screen indicated that it was Tiana on the line, and this was the fourth consecutive call. Mimi used her unarmed hand to answer the call, upon which she could almost immediately hear Tiana's teeth chattering. Her daughter tried to mask her anxiety to little avail as she asked what was going on. The entire building was being evacuated by the police and the lab workers were told to head home for the day. Immediately suspecting that her mother was involved, she tried to subdue her fears as she scanned the outside. Of course, she could not find her and thought she'd ring her to see if she knew anything about the evacuation. Mimi explained the situation to her now openly panicked daughter and ended the recap with the assurance that she would not leave this building without the vaccine. She kindly asked that her daughter remain on campus and prepare for the getaway. As she waited for Tiana to conjure a response to such a request, the intern brought over a list of 13 vials that she had overheard as promising trials. Mimi asked Tiana to keep her phone close and instructed the intern to secure some syringes. She figured there was a chance that as the situation escalated, the police may set a trap and she would have to inject the contents of the vials under duress before she was taken into custody. Though a rather extreme tactic, Mimi figured she needed to keep all options open at this point. Right as her head began to embark on the journey of the various what-ifs, the phone rang again. Seeing Tiana's name, she answered quickly, and just as she was about to reprimand her daughter for her impatience, another voice spoke. It was that of Sergeant Michael Faltieri of the Irvine Police Department. He informed the perp that the police were now on site, and that if she released Miss Choi unharmed, they could begin discussing how the rest of this maneuver would play out. Not knowing what else to do, Mimi hung up on the negotiator. She asked Miss Choi if that was her name, realizing she was ignorant to it, then reaffirmed that she was not going to hurt her. If she had her way, she'd be out of this building ASAP with her hall, and everyone could just go back to their business. The phone rang once more. Mimi answered it and set the call to speakerphone. Sergeant Falteri asked Mimi to please keep the line open. He conveyed that the police just want everyone to make it out of here unharmed. This was a sticky situation, but one that could still be remedied rather easily. He again stated that the first step toward peace would be allowing Miss Choi to leave the building and head back to her dorm. Noting how the policeman clearly saw the hostage as priority, Mimi finally realized her leverage. She spoke back with authority, demanding she speak to the lead researcher. After Falteri tried to swap a connection with Dr. Kingsbury for Miss Choi's release, Mimi threatened to hang up if she didn't hear the doctor's voice in 60 seconds. She was told to stand by. Not 42 seconds later, Faltieri said that Dr. Kingsbury was present. The new voice introduced himself as the lead researcher for the site and went right into asking Mimi to please let Miss Choi free. Mimi flat ignored the request and demanded to know which vial held the COVID vaccine and the proper code to access said vial. The doctor paused before clarifying that there was no vaccine as of yet. He did his best to describe the process of development and trials and how time intensive this creation was. But Mimi cut him off and finally went all in by shouting that she was going to contaminate this entire room with the various contents of Miss Choi's skull if he didn't tell her which one held the proper protection against the coronavirus. She immediately made contact with Miss Choi and shook her head to ease her as much as she possibly could after such a colorful threat. The doctor jumped right in and explained that if she absolutely positively needed to take a dose at this very moment. Then there were about four that may just prove to be successful in preventing severe COVID-19 infection in some patients. Then he gave her those vial numbers and corresponding codes. As Mimi instructed Miss Troy to gather the vials, the doctor continued by being clear that this was definitely not medical advice and no one should inject these under any circumstance. In fact, there was even a timing element and dose amounts that had yet to be tested. All this meaning that if anyone took a chance on injecting any of these vials, that person could very well die within hours of the act. Mimi paid no mind to the lead researcher's advice, gathered up the vials, then asked to speak to the sergeant. She told him that she was going to walk out of the building now, and if the police stayed out of her way and let her and Miss Choi drive off without a tail, they could trust no harm would come to her. She explained a little about her situation and how she was just an auntie who wanted to hold her baby niece. There was no need for even the chaos and uproar that had already occurred and certainly no call for further suffering. Falteri said that although he was happy to hear there was no intent on violence, the department could not let her leave here with Miss Choi. There would need to be further negotiations. He reminded her that if she released the hostage right now and then exited unarmed, there would be a severe drop in charges for the cooperation. Then Falteri made what was perhaps the biggest mistake in his policing career. As he was speaking to Mimi, He became a bit too carried away and elaborated on how the charges she was facing were serious indeed. As of this moment, she was looking at up to 15 years in the state prison system. He begged her for a moment to consider not being able to hold her niece until she was nearly out of high school. This affected Mimi deeply, and she couldn't help but cry out that she couldn't let it get to that. She had waited far too long as it was. Falteri felt he had his way out now and committed the blunder of telling her that if she released Miss Choi and gave herself up, she might only be looking at two to five, thereby setting the bottom range of her situation as one that was completely unacceptable. This was a woman who was literally putting her heartbeat on the line to hold her sister's baby's baby even a few days earlier than nature might allow. There was no chance in hell she would be okay waiting two full calendar years. No... There was only one way out of here, and if that way involved her 6.38 caliber bullets flying and perchance hitting officers of the law, well, so be it. She told Falteri that she was coming out, and if she saw even one uniform within 50 feet of that door, he could expect to have one of the most difficult conversations of his life with Mr. and Mrs. Choi and explaining how his egotistical aggression cost their daughter her life. With that, she demanded she speak to her own daughter. Naturally, she had not realized that she was now implicating Tiana into further crimes. Yet, Tiana was summoned to the speaker and promptly told to get to the car and meet her at the front. Tiana begged her mother to just release her hostage and exit safely, but the request fell on deaf ears. Behind tears, she asked her mother to consider what she was doing and what she was asking of her daughter. But Mimi remained firm and told her she'd be out in two minutes. If the car was not there, or if an officer was nearby... That would be the last they saw of Miss Choi. Mimi then hung up, reassured the intern that she was not going to harm her, and began to load the four syringes with the contents of the vials. With the loaded needles in one hand and her loaded revolver in the other, Mimi led Miss Choi down the hallway and into the elevator with the shaking gun aimed right at her spinal column. When they made their way down the entryway and approached the door, Miss Choi relayed that the car was there, running, and with Tian in the driver's seat. To add, there were no police. The nearest Miss Choi could see was a lineup of squad cars about 30 or so yards away. Mimi peeked out and confirmed the intern's information. Realizing this was the do-or-die moment, she took a beat to collect herself. She then put a hand on Miss Choi's shoulder, kept the gun on her back, and told her to step forward and open the door. As they exited the building, Mimi shouted at the police to stay back. She made sure Miss Choi was safely secured in the back. Then she hopped in the passenger seat. Tiana's face was smothered in tears as she did her best to control the in-motion panic attack of helping her mother transport a hostage under gun threat. Mimi placed the syringes on the dash and took a beat to let her daughter know it was all going to be okay. She just needed to drive away now, and they'd soon forget this all happened. This only made Tiana whimper even louder. So Mimi placed a gentle hand on her shoulder and said for the first time that she was sorry she had gotten her so deeply involved in this mess. It was almost over tiana instinctively placed her head on her mother's breast and mimi could not help but place both arms around her child warmly appreciating how this time tiana had not jerked back from her touch she continued to murmur that it would all be all right as tiana nodded into her chest the young woman then began parroting her mother and replying that it was all going to be okay a reply that mimi took as a step in the right direction until she began to notice the thick kevlar underneath tiana's cardigan right as she wondered why the police would give an accomplice bullet protection tiana suddenly shoved her back into the car door held her at arm's length and reached for the unattended gun as mimi screamed tiana unlocked the barrel let the bullets fly out and then promptly tossed the weapon out of the window mimi reached over and grabbed the sides of tiana's face as she begged for an explanation for the betrayal while miss troy took the opportunity to make a run for the wall of police cars With tears raining down her face, Tiana shot her arms around her traumatized mother and repeated a cycle of apologies, affirming that it was all almost over and everything would be okay. Once they saw the weapon disengaged, tactical officers began approaching the car to Mimi's horror. Tiana kept her close and promised they would not hurt her, but Mimi shoved her daughter away and screamed at her for not realizing what she had done, or better yet, what she had undone. That is to say, everything. Who knows how long the state would keep her in prison and she had just now realized that as a convict, her sister and or niece might never even let her see the baby. For the first time that day, Mimi had her moment of clarity and came to the truth of the absurdity of her entire endeavor. With no sense left in her mind, she grabbed the syringes and exited the vehicle. For the few feet she could make it, she gave it a full sprint and one by one began injecting the needles into her veins. Right as the officers tackled her, she was able to drain the last of the four syringes directly into her bloodstream. The policemen flipped her over, removed the needles, and cuffed her as she struggled on the ground. Lying with her head turned to the side, she saw Tiana being restrained from aiding her, yelling at the men to get off her mother. As her consciousness began to fade, she could see Miss Choi, next to who she assumed was Dr. Kingsbury, with a look of utmost horror on his face as he demanded the EMTs treat her immediately. The last of her vision was now blurring, and as the sounds of shouting, walkie-talkies, and general chatter began to fade, she took one last look around the scene, and for just the slightest of moments, she could have sworn she saw a bubbly, smiley baby Bianca waving at her, right as everything went black. It was about four months before the prison hospital finally allowed Tiana to visit Mimi. COVID-19 vaccines had rolled out, and the infection numbers had dwindled to a level where the county felt prison visits were safe. The robber had been in an induced coma and was expected to stay that way for the foreseeable future. Upon initial consultation, her attending physician had not minced words with her daughter. He told her that there was a decent chance she may never awaken. She was stable for the time being but if there was no response soon, he wanted her to be prepared to have a very difficult decision ahead of her. Tiana broke into soft tears when she saw her mother, clothed in a shade of orange that was eerily similar to the wristbands on that fateful day, not to mention a prisoner's jumpsuit that wasn't all that different from her custodian disguise. Mimi lay peaceful in her unconscious state, and from her serene expression, Tiana could assume that her extended dreams were those featuring baby Bianca. She knew that her mother was lucky not to have keeled over right then and there after the inoculations. Maybe she was supposed to, but knowing her stubborn personality, she had probably chewed out the Grim Reaper on multiple occasions, claiming that she wasn't going anywhere until she saw her grandniece. Tiana grabbed her hand and held it for a moment as she drank in the image and the thoughts that came along with it. Would she ever wake up? Would she ever meet her beloved grandniece? Would she ever forgive her daughter's betrayal? Her mother loved hard, there was no doubt. She had definitely gone too far, but it was all from a place of such fervent passion and familial devotion that it almost seemed as if she couldn't be faulted for it. Almost. Tiana turned her mind toward happier thoughts and began speaking to Mimi of how she would be so happy to know that the virus had run its course and Bianca was as healthy as ever. To make up for her mother's missed time, she took every chance she could to hold her and tell her all the stories about her crazy, but inimitably sweet Auntie Mimi. She made sure to remind the baby every single visit that if that day ever came when they could meet, she better be ready to absorb all that pent up adoration. That day may be up to 10 years down the road and there was a chance that it might never come at all. But looking down at her mother, clinging to her last strand of life, Tiana knew very well that the moment Mimi held Bianca she would without a doubt feel as if it was all worth it. That was Den of Dweebs. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun making it. really wanted to go out there with it. So hopefully you appreciated it. Next week, we got The Ballad of Sword and Stone. It's another wrestling story. Leon Poisson. Uh, Another great one. I had a lot of fun with writing. So make sure you're subscribed and you're telling everybody about it. We're getting more downloads than we've ever gotten. It's really great. Glad you guys are playing it. Hopefully you guys are enjoying it. Make sure you're here for next week's episode. And then we have the big multi-part finale coming up. So uh, as always, thanks for listening.